1: Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the All Things Considered at CX Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Asman, and welcome back for another episode. I'm pleased to have as our guest today. Ken Peterson from Question Pro. And so I'd love to have Ken uh, have you introduce yourself to our listeners. Ken, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you
0: here. Thank you, Bob. Uh, I'm Ken Peterson. I'm the president of customer experience at Question Pro, um, survey software and lead uh, product development and marketing.
1: Excellent. And we're uh, going to get into Question Pro a little bit later in the podcast um, and talk about some of the work that Ken and his team are doing. But first, Ken, our our listeners always enjoy hearing about my guest's career path in customer experience because perhaps unlike other professions, we we don't always kind of start out wanting to be in customer experience. Customer experience professionals sometimes just end up there or through a series of different happenings within our careers, uh, find our niche. And so I'm curious as to what your background is, what your career path and journey have been that got you to
0: do what you're doing today. Oh, mine was a a winding um, career path. Um, Most people find it hard to believe. And uh, for those that have known me for many years, even I went to college, attended university to become a high school mathematics teacher. Um, (laughs) Actually, have a um, teaching license, <laughs> and uh, thought that's where I was going to go because I was always enjoyed mathematics. Uh, ended up taking a job with a retailer, um, doing backroom operations. I'll call it. You know, I was I was a spreadsheet king. I was doing labor forecasting, sales planning, inventory planning, things like that, and had these massive spreadsheets. Uh, I was just commiserating with someone who. Had, you know, they had to add up like 64 different worksheets at a time. And mine were much more complex than that. So um, it was a friend that pulled me in, said he had an operational problem in market research. They were trying to distribute reports at a larger scale than they had ever done. And he pulled me in to help solve that problem. I thought I was going to be in it for two years. Um, at that point, move across the country to Colorado. And that two years turned into a 25 year career <laughs> started with <laughs> delivering the uh, delivering those reports. Um, and then end up building one of the, <clears throat> I'll never say the first, but one of those first uh, websites that was delivering uh, customer satisfaction results to clients um, way back in 1998. Um, pushing those results out as we were getting them I can't say real time, but just about every six hours, they were getting updates. And our biggest challenge was um, every six hours, the website would crash because everyone was trying to see what their new results would be. <laughs>
1: uh, that's that's an amazing background, Ken, and I'm, I'm smiling here because uh, my undergraduate degree is elementary education. And I went into retail. Coincidentally, uh, oh, wow. didn't teach, and so um, I knew I when I met you, I liked you because we had similar backgrounds. Ken, um, uh, with the education, but uh, but uh, very interesting about how you just kind of end up in those things. So, so Ken, what was it in the early stages? Uh, um, because I remember what you're talking about in terms of the customer satisfaction surveys and the initial uh kind of push on those. what was it that intrigued you about that early work that you were doing that wanted that that kept you in it, so to speak
0: and believe it or not, it wasn't um I sort of had this standard when I was, I was working for that retailer it was there was nothing about customer experience in the work I was doing in fact, it was probably the Antithesis of what customer experience was. Uh, what kept me intrigued early on, which may seem strange, strange for people, were were the challenges, the operational challenges that we were facing in getting information to the front line, ultimately. And that's you know, that was the challenge that engaged me and intrigued me and sort of kept me moving in that direction. It wasn't until later I actually sort of started looking at what I'll call the emotional and empathy side of the business. Um, when I started tying those in together with how you can solve problems and include um, the emotional side of it, uh, did it become, I mean, it just became like, hey, this is eye-opening for me. And that was probably four or year, five years down the road, believe it or not. Um, but I was, you know, I was completely intrigued by the the problems we were trying to solve just to get information into people's hands, um, which was such a challenge. And then uh, learning more and more, it was just, you know, it, it became just a fascination for me that I couldn't just jump out of here.
1: Mm-hmm. And Ken, when you reference the emotional and empathetic components, you know, what I found is oftentimes when we're doing surveying a work, we forget about those two components, yet there's such a huge impact on the on the customer's actual response that they give us. What what did you find when you started pursuing those those two key ingredients if you will in the surveying process
0: well i think um I, I, there there was definitely such a huge disconnect between what companies thought they were delivering and what customers were actually feeling they were receiving <laughs> and i you know i think that's still the case today i mean I, i'm not saying that we've solved it maybe we've bridged the gap a little bit um but all too often Um, when we'd see a survey built, it, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've seen this, you know, hey, we're going to add this question because this department needs to know this. And we're going to add this question. Suddenly you have a huge list of questions, but you're not asking anything that is relevant to the customer. You're not asking like, what is so important to you that you can tell us? And I mean, I think, that was part of the success behind metrics like NPS, where they said, oh, just one question, one open end, and you have everything you need. And what was great is half of it was just the customer saying what their needs were. But that still didn't stop people from adding the next question and the next question. Suddenly, you're asking 40 questions, and all of them are operational. So you can tie them back to a KPI instead of really pursuing what you know what's important to the customer. And it's still a challenge.
1: Man, that's so true. And you're right, it's still a challenge. uh, But you're just, you're just so spot on there with those comments, Ken. So, so this is a great lead in. What do you think, what is the state of customer experience from your perspective right now? I mean, we're, you know, when you look at the pandemic and the supply chain crisis and all the rest, what are you seeing from where you sit and the work that you're doing?
0: well we're, we're certainly seeing an evolving um customer base as we'll call it um they the the expectations have shifted there you know there was a certain amount of time in there during the pandemic where there was so much empathy to the employees that were serving us and i think that's shifted i don't know if all the shifts are happening simultaneously though i mean customers are very understanding hey these people are working through a pandemic to help support us and now people feel like we're have emerged from that. And the employees might not have emerged as well because they they didn't get the time off, shall we say? They didn't get to work from home. They didn't, you know, all those things that you know a lot of people take for granted. Um, these, you know, these frontline workers have been there through it all. And I think we're we're starting to see some people, uh, some customers feeling like they're getting pushed back um from a service level. And the biggest thing that people embraced uh during the pandemic, such as self-checkout and technology, um, people are starving uh for that attention now. Um, a friend of mine, Jonathan Hawkins, talks about empathy at scale. How does how does a machine know that you have a problem? If you're at a self-checkout, you know, and you pause for 30 seconds, is it because you need help or Is it just because you're trying to find what next to scan or you're just looking for the credit card in your wallet, whatever it is. But there's just so many things now that during the pandemic, because we tried to keep social distancing and all those things um, employed during during our interactions with employees, it's now created a situation where employees haven't engaged with customers as much, customers are being asked more and more to engage with the technology instead of employees and there's a real disconnect there. Um, there there's people people are screaming that you know I want some attention now I want I want service I want to be able to talk to someone um, I can't do everything through ATM and self checkout
1: well how can that's a really fascinating observation and trend that you're seeing because I, I I will concur with you and what I've read and and my experiences early on in the pandemic, there was a lot of empathy from customers. We were all going through this together. Right. And so you're trying to help me. I'm trying to help you. And, and, you know, we saw a shift uh, maybe eight, 12 months into the pandemic where people said, okay, you've had enough time to figure this out, you know, company, a whoever that is, is, you know, and yet today, We still see companies saying, you know, due to the pandemic, we can't give you very good service. I mean, they don't say it that way, but that's the implication. And so um, it's fascinating that customers are now coming back and saying, I do want the personal touch.
0: And it is. um, And it. And, and in some ways, companies have forgotten how to deliver that. <laughs> um, they think personal touch is uh, a marketing email that says, oh, here's coupons for the three things that you bought with us last month that you haven't bought recently, according to your loyalty card. Mm. Um, that's not, you know, I mean, that's some level of personalization, but it's not that I'll call it the empathetic personalization that people are looking for. for. And a lot of that can only be delivered, uh, honestly, by a human that's saying, hey, I understand your problem of what you're looking for. And, and then you go into some of these, I mean, I, I was at a retailer, I won't name them, but big department store. It was amazing how difficult it was just to find an employee to check out. I had to locate what I was trying to purchase. Uh, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to find a belt nowadays. <laughs> so um, mm-hmm. there's such a small little um, rack of them that, you know, I, I I spent probably 20 minutes looking for where they're at. Um, and then once I found it, I'm like, I can't find anyone where I can go pay for this. And I ended up having to walk out of the store without what I came, you know, without the belt, because there was no place where I could find an employee. And I, I flagged down one person and he says, oh, I'll, I'll find someone for you disappeared and no one ever showed up and you know these 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 kinds of you know i mean there, there was a lot of um a lot of company benefits to some of the things that happened during the pandemic um there was a lot of things you know being able to go towards that self-checkout saves a lot of money on labor things like that uh but you know they definitely uh they've missed the boat when it comes back to the fact that people now need these things Ken, why is this so hard for
1: organizations to realize this? What I I've just, I just shake my head sometimes because organizations spend so much time on lots of other things. And by the way, in the pandemic, unfortunately for customer experience professionals, we saw companies treat CX as um, you know, like a like a travel expense, like discretionary oh, expense yeah. that could be done away with, and you go, "Oh my gosh!" At the time when you need customer experience, you're doing away with it. But, but from your perspective and the many companies you you work with, why is this so difficult? I think,
0: uh, despite all of the technology and tools and uh, thought leadership out there about breaking down silos and organizations bringing people together, working collaboratively, uh, those silos still exist. I mean, it it's amazing to me sometimes if, you know, we'll, we'll engage with a client and say, oh, they want to know, you know, what's the ROI on doing A, B, or C? And you just ask for a simple thing like, okay, what's the average price of a product sold in your location? Or what's the average markup on a product sold? No one has that information, and it takes months to get it. And then by then, they've moved on to something else. And you know, so even like just asking for one little number—never mind, you know—can we get a list of you know how much an individual customer sell, spends based on the the survey responses we get? They just they they have these little. Uh, I'll call them fiefdoms, where they just control, you know, hey, this is my data, I, you know, I control the CRM, and you control CX, so you stay in CX, and you you control EX, so you stay within EX, and they're not getting together, um, and physically and metaphorically, they're not getting together and saying, let's talk about how we can solve a problem across the organization.
1: Hmm. I, I would agree with you 100%. It just seems to be an ongoing challenge. So, Ken, before we uh, go much further, I'd love to learn a b- little bit more about Question Pro and some of the work you're doing as you've alluded to some of the clients you're working with and your perspective on CX. So, tell us a little bit about uh, Question Pro.
0: Yeah, uh, well, Question Pro actually started way back in 2005. And um, by, by full f- disclosure, I came across them uh, when I was working with one of my prior companies. They were one of our vendors. I actually managed um, all of our technology vendors um and question pro was one of them and um, they they were forward thinking at the time they were looking at mobile i mean this is back in 2006 7 and 8 where they were talking about mobile devices being you know king in terms of capturing information collecting information uh, conducting surveys and um, fast forward many years i i actually thought i was going to step away for a little bit and take some time off and Um, Vivek called me me and said, hey, uh, I want you to take the CX platform to the next level, which was exciting for me because, I mean, for years I've been sitting there biting my tongue at a very large organization going, gee, we really need to be innovative. We need to do something different because, you know, the world's passing, not just, you know, the large Large. full service companies, but it was also passing the technology companies by. Um, They were looking at things, you know, through their own, you know, how do we, Sell this without any adding any cost to it, um, so it was exciting to me for me to be able to bring in you know the ideas that uh, I've been thinking about for 15 years and say let's make this happen. So we started building out um, a customer experience platform that was based on things like making the sur- surveys shorter. I, I always say my end goal is to get rid of surveys completely knowing that it will never happen it's like that asymptotic line that you know it just it approaches zero but hey we're never going to quite hit it so um you know it started i mean two and a half years ago when i started the first thing i did is uh add this root cause um question to our nps question we call it nps plus and it's just giving that customer that quick i can tell you which area was bothering me the most or which area satisfied me the most And just that one additional click just provided so much more depth and detail to not just the NPS, but also the open end that they then provide to you later. So we were able then to take those root causes. We now apply them to the closed loop feedback. We now apply them to what we call outer loop, being able to aggregate those root causes, determine things that are going wrong on a systemic level and fix them. Uh, because one of the things that always blew my mind, I, it was a car rental agency. I use them every week for three years. About a year and a half into it, I had a problem one week. I got the survey. I filled out the survey. All I got was an automated email with a $25 coupon. Didn't get a call from anyone. You know, I guess they didn't see me, my business as important enough. For the next year and a half, I did that. I completed the survey. Didn't use the coupons, to be fair. I just completed the survey, give them a poor rating, and see if I get would get any sort of response. It wasn't until I stopped traveling uh, to that location. About three months later, someone called me and said, gee, we noticed you haven't rented in a while. Well, that's a long time to go, <laughs> a year and a half of complaints, and then finally someone go, well, you stop spending money. I mean, I, we gotta fix this <laughs> problem now. And and so what I wanna do with outer loop is prevent that. I mean, if you see a problem coming up over and over and over again, there's a solution to fix it. And closed loop feedback, that inner loop, uh, just responding to the complaint isn't good enough. You have to fix the problem, otherwise you're still gonna get that complaint. And so, so we've sort of built the platform around that idea that these root causes are everywhere um and then we're talking about um delight and the delight areas that you know really can enhance an experience and delight is an ongoing pursuit <laughs> i'll just say i mean everyone says oh well top box that's the delight well no it's not um to me delight is that, that that moment that you're surprised with you know and it's positive not a negative <laughs> surprise um i i think you know i i just had one uh, last week where i was boarding the plane I sat down in my seat, the pilot came back and said, hey, you're hitting your 2 million mile mark with us on this flight, which was depressing in some ways. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the, you know It was nice that they came back and acknowledged it. And then they said he wanted me to go up in the cockpit so he could get a picture because they were going to post it at the headquarters. And I, he was able to take a picture of me too. And I, I'm like, this is cool. I mean, this is, it, it costs them nothing. Um, you know, they just let the pilot know the information they enabled him to provide a better service to, you know, one of their top customers. And so that was a moment of delight. If I got in the cockpit every flight, that wouldn't be a moment of delight in the future. It was this time. So the light is constantly improving. And I think, I think so many companies miss out on that opportunity to say, oh, well, we're, we're getting all tens. That doesn't mean you're wowing someone. You might be getting all tens because, hey, maybe you're delivering and you're delivering well on what you want, but eventually someone's going to come in and say, I can deliver this either better or faster, and you're going to lose customers as a result. So you constantly have to challenge yourself to delight your customers.
1: No question about it. And I I love this root cause approach that you're taking, Ken, because um, we've talked a lot about service recovery processes and customer experience and and oftentimes you know if you make a mistake the customer will will kind of give you a little bit they'll give you the mistake but they don't expect you to make the same mistake twice and that really goes goes to root cause because the company has to figure out what's going wrong here and and to correct it so to bring that into the surveying process is is really it's got to be a a great tool for for organizations that are using that
0: yeah absolutely and 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 it's like you said, I mean, the fixing the problem one time usually sits with that frontline manager. Fixing the systemic problem goes across the organization. It requires breaking down those silos.
1: And and Ken, to that point, too, is we hear a lot about companies collecting a lot of data, customer information, uh, customer surveys, NPS, satisfaction, you name it. They're collecting a lot of data and they're struggling with what to do with it. Have you encountered that uh, with the organizations that you work with?
0: Well, if we can if we can ever get past the okay we have all this data mm-hmm. first now can we bring it together <laughs> that's, I mean honestly that's a huge I was just spoke speaking with a former colleague, a good friend of mine who works for a very very large software company and he said same thing he says I have I have a position dedicated Uh, he called it an enforcer. He likes hockey. So we call it an enforcer who has to go and knock on the doors of people and say, I need data so we can do this. Um, So, but once you have that data, I think it can be overwhelming. And most people don't know where to look. And most people spend a lot of time. I, you know, I've, I've always said, you know, when you're in a boardroom and suddenly the question comes up, is this statistically significant? you've already lost the argument on whatever you're arguing for mm-hmm. because what you need to be looking for is something that, you know, is causal, something that you can say, this has an effect on this and it impacts our revenue or our profit in this way. And, you know, if I, I've, I remember early on in my career um, when I was still with the retailer, being able to say like, Hey, these, you know, all I took was my inventory plan- planning spreadsheet um, and compared it against the the manifests and said, listen, if you had done it this way, we'd have this much more product in in stock and it made a difference. I mean, it was millions of dollars of difference on a monthly basis in terms of revenue. And it was like, I, I never got the question like, well, is it statistically significant? Everyone looked at it and said, that makes sense. We know that if you don't have product in stock, that means customers aren't buying it. That means revenue is you know, you're missing out on revenue. So being able to take those common sense approaches um, and knowing where there's a, you know, a causal relationship and bring, introducing that into what I would call operational analytics um, instead of, you know, let's build this model where um, our NPS ties to these attributes and we do a correlation against individual customer revenue and tie it back to uh lifetime value and suddenly you have this model Um, That's at the 95% confidence interval, but, hey, that model breaks as soon as you introduce a new product or a new competitor into the mix. Uh, So, um, you know, it's sort of like, you know, the idea of taking operational analytics and combining them with survey data is not new. Um, I just don't think people approach it with the mindset of we've got to find something where we can fix a problem as opposed to, hey, let's just run a factor analysis and narrow this down. And, oh, well, we, we know the factor analysis says this. So these are the three key themes we have to fix. Well, that doesn't tell us what's the ROI, what we need to do to fix it, things like that.
1: Ken, I, I just think you're spot on with your comments. And and certainly from my perspective, and I bet my uh, listeners as well are are nodding their heads in agreement with what you're saying
0: or in frustration because uh, they know. Or it's. In
1: fr- right, exactly. <laughs> or they're like, ah, um, help me, help me, help me. Um, uh, Ken, this has been really a fascinating conversation. And I say this all the time because the time always goes so fast. But before I, I let you go, where are we headed with CX? What If you had a crystal ball, where are we headed? What's it look like, um, you know, the next couple of years out of where we're headed as a profession, but also in some of what your work that you're doing with your company.
0: Well, and I, I mentioned a lot of uh, the work that I'm doing in terms of the root cause and being able to get to those those key issues of, you know, what's causing delight and what's causing pain. Um, so I think we'll see that evolve. I mean, we, we've, we've seen a lot of things evolving, such as sentiment analysis. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, honestly, when I look at all the tools out there, they're all almost equivalent and they all have about a 55% (laughs) success rate, as I'll call it, um, which is like a little better than flipping a coin. So yes, sentiment analysis helps give you more information. Uh, But what I I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of these analytic AI analytic tools getting in there. And uh, I say, hopefully bringing in operational data as well as the survey data, the emotional data, uh, bring those together and say, hey, we're finding trends. And imagine the power of being able to have a machine give you 25 insights that you can then look at and go, you know, this one's worth investigating more. And I think we're going to see that more and more in customer experience. And I think it will, you know, my feeling is it will help that the service side of the customer experience because then we'll be able to say, here's places where we're missing the empathy. Here's places where customers feel a gap in their service levels. And it's not because, I mean, if you if you look at some of the surveys that we have and you have 40 questions, if you were to analyze that in all the different ways with all the different cuts and all the different trends, imagine how many man hours that would take. But if you had a machine doing it, it can pop out and surface those insights pretty quickly and say, here's five things you need to focus on. And then we can take those five things, do a deeper analytics of it and be able to say, this is how we can make a meaningful impact to clients. And I think, you know, there was a long trend of everyone pushing everything, you know, the CX programs and their marketing into automation platforms. And I think we're going to end up taking a step back going, sometimes you need human intervention. And I, I suspect that's where we'll be going in the near future.
1: This has been excellent. Ken, if our listeners want to learn more, um, want to connect with you or question pro, how's the best way for them to do that?
0: Of course, uh, they can always find me on LinkedIn, um, or you can go to questionpro.com slash Ken and um you can set up a meeting directly with me there. Just click on the meet now button and I'll get notified.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's that's accessibility, right? Yes. And that's that's fantastic for our listeners to know that. And and I do hope they take advantage of it because I think it's a fascinating topic and and the work you're doing. Um both as a CX professional and with Question Pro, uh, sounds really intriguing to me. So thanks for joining us today, Ken.
0: Yeah, thank you for the time, Bob. I appreciate it.
1: Uh, This has been another episode of the All Things Considered CX podcast. I'm your host, Bob Espin. As always, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your listeners. And there are lots of podcasts as part of the CXFM radio network. So check that out. And our podcasts are also available on YouTube. And so until we speak again. I look forward to having you join me on my next podcast. Thank you, listeners. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered, CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show, follow me on LinkedIn, and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences.